0: We're going to continue on with World Cup After Dark. John Arnold is still here. Amit Malik is still here. I'm Austin Miller. I'm still here. And let's get into CONCACAF. John, it's how you make your bucks, I think, some of your bucks. Getting CONCACAF the newsletter. How excited are you for these CONCACAF
1: teams at the World Cup? Uh. <laughs> Uh-oh, the long pause, the long uh, pause. I, I think it could be a difficult World Cup for CONCACAF. You know, I just wrote in the newsletter about which team will go the farthest. And you could see a scenario in which the answer is none of them. Uh, the groups were tough. I think the draw was was pretty brutal for CONCACAF. We're talking, you know, we talked in the previous episode about some of the Commonwealth teams and that them being in these kind of wide open groups. I think most of the CONCACAF nations, you look and you say, Mexico's in a group with Argentina, you expect Argentina to win that group. US is in a group with England, you expect England to win that group. Costa Rica's in a group with Spain, Germany, and Japan. You could see any of those teams winning the group, but you really don't think Costa Rica's gonna win that group. Canada's draws a little better, maybe, but they're with Belgium. So I think like every group you say, and like, oh, maybe that's the World Cup, right? Maybe that's just the nature of the beast, but I think there are more open groups that that if these teams have been drawn into. Uh, They would be kind of looking much more optimistic. And then you toss in the fact that, like, the September friendlies were (laughs) just trash for the United States, like, really, really bad. Mexico didn't look good at the end of qualification and has done very little to rescue that. So you combine, like, the difficulty of fixtures with the lack of exciting form of most of these teams, and you say, this could be a rough one. That being said, there is some. Stuff to take away. There are things to rescue, as uh, I can loan word from Spanish, you know, rescatar of what these CONCACAF teams have. You could also see them making runs. So am I excited for this World Cup? It's a World Cup. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to analyze. It's the first time I've been doing a newsletter. Like, there are lots of other weird factors here. But ultimately, I think it could be a complicated one for fans of teams in the CONCACAF region.
2: I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and I think you hit on all the factors that are going to be problematic for the CONCACAF teams. And, you know, it's interesting because you talked with them winning the groups, at least three of them, you know, I think we talk about Canada, us, Mexico, give them all a fair shot at getting out of their groups. But in terms of success, you know, if you get out of your group in second, you're in, you know, you're going to be in the tough, tough straits to, to win around. So, we talked about it on the U.S. show, you know, what is success for the U.S.? Is it getting out of the group, or do you need to win a round of 16 match? I, same thing for, for Mexico and Canada. I know the expectations for Mexico are very high, and they always are, as they should be. And, you know, I think would from, from your perspective, if three teams got out of the group, but then none of them won – Would that be expected disappointment? Like how how would
1: you categorize that? I think that would be a good World Cup for CONCACAF. Like, because if you have three teams advancing, you're either saying the US and Mexico kind of did what they needed to do, and Canada advanced or Costa Rica advanced, which is like I think would be a pleasant surprise from kind of the neutral or CONCACAF partisan um, perspective. I just think that would be success, right? It's difficult to sort of look at it from a regional perspective. You know, what's a good World Cup for Comma Bowl If yeah. one team gets out, but because Argentina they... wins the World Cup, is it a success for the region? Yeah, maybe not, right? Like, I, I think, like, it is yeah. tough, but I, I would say overall for the region, look, like, Panama deserved to be at the World Cup in 2018, right? They played their way in. They were a good story. It's this baseball country who, like, converted into sort of a soccer country had this golden generation of players and they sort of fell extremely flat they weren't to the level that they needed to be to compete with the other teams in the group that doesn't look good for concacaf it doesn't it doesn't convince european top team scouts that concacaf players are going to be worthy of being in top teams it doesn't help you in your twitter banter with fans from other regions who say that concacaf is a farmers confederation or whatever right not that stuff is you know the the, the player stuff is important Your Twitter beef is not important, but like those are factors that sort of, when you're talking about like CONMEBOL versus CONCACAF versus UEFA, as the world evolves football wise, that stuff is important because if UEFA and CONMEBOL make the super friends alliance and CONCACAF is on the outside looking in, they got to become the third group or do something else to kind of make sure the competition doesn't keep falling, keep falling, keep falling. And when we're having this show... In 12 years, we're not talking about another year without a CONCACAF team even making the semifinals or whatever the case is. Because when you look to 2026 on North American soil, with all these exciting teams building toward the future, you say, we one of these teams could win it. But if they don't, then you look at 2030 and 20, it's like, where does it kind of stop? So I think like... In a way, it's a big World Cup for CONCACAF, right? Because they need to be able to say, yes, we are a competitive confederation. Yes, we are a good confederation. It's not the biggest. 2026 will be a much bigger marker, but I think this is important for the region. So uh, if three teams get out of the group, to me, it's a success for, for the confederation as a whole.
0: Do, uh... Do you have a lot of experience with OFC reply guys on Twitter, John? (laughs) A lot of guys from the Oceanic Football Confederation in your mentions? Only when
1: I'm doing an enormous thread about OFC qualification. (laughs) Good tournament. Good
0: tournament, those guys. Solomon Islands.
1: Let's get into these
0: teams. Let's Let's get into the teams, John. And let's start with the Giants of CONCACAF, Mexico. What is the feeling... Around Mexico going into this World Cup. It's not no, particularly it's bad. good, is it? Feeling
1: is bad. The vibes are, are bad. Um, Mexico just hasn't looked good in any game they've really played in 2022. You know, I think in a lot of ways it's easy to forget about the start of the Tato Martino era, which was great. You know, Mexico established a style of play. They put it on the field in the way that Martino wanted them to. They were winning games in tournaments, in friendlies. They lost to Argentina. Chicharito gets banned from the national team or whatever happened, happened. And then the pandemic hits. and I mean, things are difficult for everyone, obviously, but like Raul Jimenez's injury is quite significant. And now he has a new injury, which we're not even sure if he's going to make it to the World Cup in Qatar. So when you look at Mexico, there's not a lot of enthusiasm. There's not a lot of optimism. The expectations are pretty low because I think people are just done with this team. The bad news is I think Tata Martino, the manager, has done for this team as well. I think he's going to give it his all. He would love to win the World Cup. He wants to get Mexico to that mythical quinto partido, the fifth game that Mexico's never reached on foreign soil. But at the same time, I think he's just has the posture of a man who's ready to do something else and will be doing something else in the new year. So, you know, that's not exactly the vibe you want from your manager. And And I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I don't think that vibe is permeating the team. But when you ask, like, what's the feeling? How's Mexico? They're bad. A bit. Is that the vibe we want? I mean, like, we could kind of get behind a manager
2: that might not want to be there, right? Respect it. Yeah, that's the kind of energy that this podcast thrives on. I think that makes them, I, I don't, it's, it's not like, a, oh, this makes them dangerous because it's not the case. The vibes are bad because all the individual parts are bad. And you know, I think we we talked about here and what we talked about in Mexico and what's what was kind of evident for in the qualifying and what's wrong with this this Tata phase right now is they're older and they're slower and they they just don't look as athletic as the other teams as they play. And I know they have some exciting young players and then you add on top of that, okay, Tecatito's hurt, Mm -hmm. you know, they they had a Lozano injury that a chucky injury that hurt them for a lot of the last cycle, like there's been some bad luck but now they're just kind of sapped of talent uh a little bit and if Jimenez doesn't play where is this team going to score so yes fun vibes that you know everything is bad on this team but I do think it like it's not necessarily going to lead to good things I think it's more likely this leads to an unceremonious like maybe they don't get out of their group and it, they fall flat on their face which I'm not rooting for but I think that's more likely than them having a better run in spite of all the bad things. I think the bad things are just going to be better. Yeah, I,
1: I think like it's possible they don't get out of the group. The, sort of, the standard is so uh, tight, because if they don't get out of their group, it's the biggest failure in these players' lifetimes. Yeah. If they do get out of the group and they win one game, it's the biggest success in these players' lifetimes. So you could really see it going either way, because anything is still possible in this team does have pieces. The thing that I think is the biggest concern for Mexico, if Raul Jimenez is starting and healthy and playing is the creativity. It's a team that should be creative and hasn't been. It's a team that should have a spark and doesn't. And you wonder why, you know, Lozano is this energetic player who did what he did in the 2018 world cup. And, you know, before that for Pachuca and after that for, for Napoli and, it's, it's unclear why he doesn't link well with Raul. It's unclear why some of the two-way midfielders aren't able to to sort of have the interplay that they probably should with the wingers. I think quietly, Alexis Vega from Chivas could be an X factor in this World Cup. Like if Mexico gets through, just because he's willing to try some things, he has energy, uh, and there's some other players too, you know. I think Mexico has strengthened their fullback position from when they were winning games in 2019, and even from qualification to some extent. Guillermo Choa is still back there as a kind of world-beating goalkeeper, especially at World Cups. Mexico Memo, it's Mexico Memo, mean, it's, it's time. It's real. It is it's real. real. It right? is real. And and it, and it does give them belief too, doesn't no, it? No, for sure. And I think the fact that that Memo is there, that Guardado is there. You know, still lends this veteran presence and this gravitas to the Mexico team that has made them feel like a team that should have more success than maybe they've had at World Cups in the past. And so even though you say, well, the expectations are low, the vibes are bad, I don't think Mexico, the team, is necessarily going in thinking they're not going to get out of the group. And no, I think they should get out of, of the course. group, Austin. When you look at it, what do you think, man? I, think... I mean, it's like Argentina's your World Cup pick. I'm guessing you're picking them first. I think they beat Saudi Arabia relatively easily. And then it's uh, – I've been saying like, you know, there's the Catholics versus convicts game, the Notre Dame-Miami. Uh, this is the Catholics versus Catholics sure. as as, uh, as Mexico faces Poland. Um, <laughs> that's the decider,
2: right?
0: One, uh, jealous of you, Amit, that you're going to be in Chicago oh, wow. for Mexico-Poland <laughs> in a World Cup. Exciting. Uh, big first game, Amit? Big first game? Hearing rumors? The biggest.
2: I mean – the this- Ecuador is big, but this one I think is like pretty clearly two versus the two two teams going for the second spot playing each other. Uh, yeah, it,
0: big first game, big first game. I think one of the concerns. I mean, there's obviously a lot of concerns for Mexico. A huge concern is the fact that it appears as though a player who would really help them at this World Cup, namely a goal scorer, has been frozen out of the national team with no hopes of getting back in Chicharito. We can touch on that in a second. But I think one a big concern for them in the context of this tournament and in the context of how it's going to go is, you know, what happens if Mexico draws with Poland in that first match? I think is a, is a a fairly likely result. You know, that could absolutely happen. This group probably comes down to who can put more goals past Saudi Arabia, right? And who are you going to back in that? Are you going to back Robert Lewandowski and Poland? Or are you going to back whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Funes Mori, whatever this Mexico team has. I think that puts even more pressure on Mexico to go out and beat Poland in this first match. Because if they draw, chances are they're not going to be favored to get out of the group. Maybe yeah. they get a dead rubber in the last match and maybe Argentina plays for a draw. You know, obviously there's a ton of different scenarios that could affect the group. You know, what does Argentina do in each of their two matches? Do they rotate for the second? Do they rotate for the, blah, 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 et cetera? But on paper, this group could potentially come down to who can score more goals against Saudi Arabia, and I don't. Yeah, and think that's you're and that's why Mexico I
1: think like and even in the the World Cup qualification games against teams that it shouldn't have come down to this, it, it did. Is set pieces right? Like Mexico is good on set pieces. They have aerial threats in the form of Edson Alvarez, Hector like Moreno, Nestor Raulho. At times, you know, other players who can score from a direct free kick, like Achuki, like you know some of the other kick takers. I think like that could be a massive, massive factor. And so, you know, don't, don't foul in dangerous areas, boys. Like, you know, I think like the other teams can't concede those free kicks because Mexico can take advantage. And that's what a lot of these qualification games that were sort of dire came down to because Mexico couldn't create and did find goals from being better in the box, better at aerial threats. It's a country that, you know, isn't known for heights as Juan Carlos Osorio, the previous manager, uh, often was, uh, Not fond of, but like pointed out a lot, Uh, but ultimately it's a team that can score on set pieces. And like, if they don't have Raul, if Chucky can't find a few goals, Chucky Lozano, like that's the best hope is is set pieces. Ideally for Mexico, it doesn't come to that because they get goals from the run of play and they find that creative spark from somewhere. Uh, But some of the exciting players who you're like mentioning, like, oh, you know, like Diego Linus could come in, although a bit of a fitness concern as well there. Or, you know, what about this guy? What about this guy? It's like, Data Martino hasn't really given those guys the the oxygen, I would say. So I, that, that is the big question is who scores the goals. The rest of Mexico, I'm not overly concerned about. There are weaknesses to exploit. Again, I think the full position is one you circle. But ultimately, like, it's a can this team score goals? And that's something you never thought you were going to be saying two years ago about this team. I w- how
0: quickly, how quickly after Mexico are eliminated from the World Cup is Tata Martino no longer Mexico manager? Same day, next Comunicado day. Comunicado
1: oficial, like the day after, I think, because he does. I just think like he is visibly, and and he's saying it too, like not like I don't want to be here, but like he's saying things that you just like this guy doesn't want to be here. That it just takes one step of inference. I'm fascinated to see what his next job is. I think he, he is a good manager. I think he could be successful in the right scenario in the international game. Once again, he could be a successful coaching an Argentine club. He was a Paraguayan club coach for a long time. Like, if he really wants to get back to his roots, and I think he'll have offers in MLS. But I think he's done with this project, and this project is done with him.
2: I was just going to add on Mexico. I wanted to ask how much they still rely on. Hector Herrera and Andres Guardado Guardado, because I think, you know, they, like you said, they're two of their best players of this little generation and, you know, they have the kind of the big game experience, they're leaders in the squad, but I just worry that makes them a little slow in the midfield, which is, you said, you know, a weakness. I still think they're very good players with the ball and they let Mexico play their best kind of soccer in open play but I wonder if that if that's a concern from you or if they're not going to be getting as many minutes as maybe someone would think.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a, a weakness that Tata Martino has clocked and that Mexico has sort of started to resolve uh, in a lot of ways. I think you'll see Luis Chavez get some shots in the midfield. I think you'll see Eric Gutierrez as that, as that two-way player. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see some players break that kind of hegemony that those veterans have had in that spot. I just... I just wonder if there should have been more of that during World Cup qualification. And I think also, you know, the other thing that I would have done differently in World Cup qualification is given more experience to other center backs. Because I think, you know, on the one hand, maybe it's an Alvarez steps back from that midfield spot if Luis Chavez gets it's, 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 gets the, the opportunity against a team or something like that. <sighs> or if you try Acha Acha in that spot. You know, maybe you don't need as much center back depth, but I think Johan Vasquez is a talented player who could have used more opportunities, was thrown in, in a difficult situation. So I'm surprised that Tata Martino didn't sort of take that weakness that you're pointing out I mean, into consideration earlier, uh, because I do think he's going to try and correct it during the tournament. But why don't you correct that in the games that are meant for the correction? That, that's, I think, been the frustration for you know some fans are just pissed they aren't scoring goals. But I think the frustration for fans who are really watching and seeing what's happening, it's like, why did we not try some of these things sooner? Because it's possible that you know uh, Luis Chavez, Charlie Rodriguez, Eric Gutierrez, midfield could work, but we haven't really seen it.
2: Might have to find out the hard way. <laughs> Throw them in the fire, right? It's three games, like. <laughs> Things don't go well. You need to figure it out. Um, I think on the whole, I I like Mexico's chances versus Poland. I like them versus Poland in the group. But as Austin said, if it's a draw scenario and then it comes down to putting them past Saudi Arabia, then I like it a little less. But on the whole, if we're talking about, and I think, you know, I thought you had a very good point. Mexico's not coming to this World Cup like the vibes are bad. We're here to not get through. They're definitely trying to win their group. They're definitely trying to get through. I, I like their chances to get out, and I think that would be a success. Even if they lost in the round of sixteen, you know you don't want that burden of having the failure of not getting out of the group on this squad. So I do think that's gonna that's gonna fuel them. And I'm not saying that you know Poland doesn't have the same fuel, but I do think you know for for Mexico, it's it's a really really. I, I think one of our overarching takes is that you know some of the teams wanted a little more is going to push them over the edge uh, this tournament. Maybe that's a little simple reductive, but I like Mexico's chances to get out.
0: Mexico has the opportunity here, and this, this will be kind of the last thing, and then we'll move on. Mexico could be the biggest fracaso at this Mundial, right, John? Like, there's a scenario in which this just completely blows yeah, look, up.
1: look, if they don't – I think even if they finish third in the group, it's just seen as a, an, a massive failure. It could all explode. They could finish fourth. They could lose to Saudi Arabia. I just – I don't see that happening. I think there's too much talent in the group. And for all of Tata Martino's shortcomings that have been sort of exposed or the difficulties that had to deal with, because I think some of this is just challenges that he – that are tough to deal with that he has to figure out a way around that's part of managing the international game Uh, for all of those i think he does have a system of play that the players understand that he wants to see on the field so i would be really surprised to see them absolutely fail at the same time if they don't get out of the group it's a failure that's what i'm saying like i just think that that standard that level that you have to hit is to get out of the group and after that you could be you could go, go down as absolute heroes for winning one more game But you could also finish third and go down as the absolute goats. And I don't mean greatest of all time, Um, you know, like and and it's a bit of a laughing stock. And this would be just a cycle that is forever kind of condemned to the trash bin of history as as the worst.
0: There's no great transition from forever condemned to the trash bin of history as the worst. So I'm not even going to attempt to find one, but we've got some new blood. In the World Cup from CONCACAF, the Canadian men's national team at the World Cup for the first time since 1986. What can we expect from John Herdman's side at this World Cup?
1: Yeah, I only new blood if you didn't watch the 1986 World Cup, which I didn't. I wasn't alive. Uh, and none of these players were either, so it's fine. And of course, Canada didn't score at that World Cup. So I think there's a lot of firsts to still be sort of enjoyed for Canada. Look, like Canada won CONCACAF World Cup qualification. They finished first. They were a team that I think kind of bonded together throughout the difficulties of the first two rounds of qualification, which they had to play, and none of the other teams that actually qualified for the World Cup did. Quick aside, uh, but I think it, just to show how dumb I am,
0: I predicted Canada would go out against Suriname at one point in this World Cup qualification <laughs> cycle. There's a tweet <laughs> out there if you want to find it, so maybe you shouldn't listen to what I had to say.
1: Suriname's spicy, man. That's a, that's a that's good That's what I said. Not as good as Canada. Not as good as Canada. Um, Canada's good. I mean, I think, like, we talked a little bit about some of the teams that lack depth, that if there's an injury, that if there's a suspension, they won't achieve their goals. You know, I think we we're saying Argentina with lifting the trophy. For Canada, I think it's just getting out of the group. Alfonso Davies has his hamstring knock that is concerning. Uh, Bayern has sort of definitively said, oh, it's not going to keep him out of the World Cup, which is always, like, a weird... For some reason, I don't quite trust that. It seems a little odd to me. Some Maxim Kropo go down. Number two goalkeeper. It's a bummer. It was a really uh, terrible injury. Obviously, wish him well in a quick recovery. He wasn't going to start at the tournament, so I don't think it affects Canada's chances too much. Scott Kennedy, a center back, uh, injured his shoulder. I think that actually has a little bit of effect that maybe people are not uh, realizing. He's a player who I think has a bright future still with Canada. He's, he's probably in the age range for the next cycle. Obviously, I hope he gets better. Uh, but I think there's a lot of kind of weaknesses for Canada, and the defense is one that John Herdman really shored up uh, during his tenure. He had players like Stephen Vitoria uh, play really well, Stefano Ustekio ahead of that defense in the midfield, protecting well, and sort of was able to limit um, the the deficiencies there. But I do think that we'll probably see that exposed. On the other hand, we don't really know Canada's played non concacaf opposition twice since the pandemic, both in the September uh, friendly window. They had a decent showing against Qatar and I guess an okay showing against Uruguay. So uh, in a lot of ways, I think anything could happen. You know, the headlines, I think we know, right? Alfonso Davies, if he's healthy, Jonathan David, a team of brothers that has this unity that surprised the hell out of everybody in CONCACAF. And there's a lot we don't know, right? So I think it's a fascinating team. It's fun to have a team that's new and different, uh, to have new players to talk about. Uh, but at the same time, I, despite what I saw from Canada during qualification, despite the fact that I think this is a team that's here to stay as far as being a power in the CONCACAF region, I still think this probably comes too soon in their development path to say they're gonna get out of a group that I think has some difficulties. You know, it's maybe not a group of death. It's not as tough as some of the other, you know, we'll get to Costa Rica here in a second. Uh, But I I, I think I'm not picking Canada to get out of the group, not because of any disrespect toward Canada, not because I don't think they they belong here. I think they'll have a better showing than than Panama that who I referenced a little bit earlier. Uh, But at the same time, Belgium and Croatia in that group. It's just tough. It's just tough, and, and and I wonder if it'll be one step too far for this kind of fairy tale. Might be harsh, but tough team.
0: Amit, do you think there's a chance that the other teams of this group don't do their homework on Canada, and that it leaves this opportunity, and that Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David just cook at this World Cup?
2: That's where I think what you're hearing John talk about, it's just a little bit too soon, is the answer is no. I think they've done their homework. I'd be very surprised if teams let, you know, the star players hurt them, Davies in particular. Um, and I think what was worked really well for Canada is that they have a lot of electric playmakers, not just Davies and David, also Taysian Buchanan, an MLS player from the Revs, who really broke uh, broke out last year. And in uh, the World Cup qualification, and then I think what hurts them is that also Belgium and Croatia are two experienced World Cup teams. You know, I do think they're they're not gonna like they're not afraid to to ch- choke the game off a bit against Canada. And I think if you're think, looking at this group, and Austin, I said in our first podcast, the group we were most excited about was this one because anyone could have a chance. And the more I think about it, I know Croatia is leaning a little bit old. They're just they're very experienced um, and they just have a little more quality up and down the field and that's what's gonna really prevent Canada if they're gonna make through is going to be this Croatia team and then Morocco you know we've I saw them play the United States uh, I think we know a lot of their players well they're exciting they're open they're a team that you know is just gonna probably play a little bit more open of a game against Canada there could be goals but Morocco can score too so I don't think the teams are gonna let Canada just kind of sit back and score on the counter. I think they're gonna make Canada play. And I think Canada's defense, um, you know, they, they were good in qualification. You look at it, it's a lot of MLS defenders, a lot of good MLS defenders who I like, uh Kamal Miller and ZGB, I'm not gonna say his name, uh had a very good season for Montreal. But I, I think they're gonna get put under up and level. I think they're gonna get put under pressure against the good teams in this group.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's still for me where I look and I say I I, I do wonder what's going to happen. That being said, I think if you want to make a case for Canada, you can do that as well. Herdman plans games very meticulously, is really really intelligent with how he studies. You know, is our team going to be surprised by Canada? I don't think so, but maybe. But Canada's not going to be surprised by any teams, and you know, we saw that against even extremely small teams like Aruba. Uh, this is these are teams that they've scouted well, that they understand how to play to their strengths. Davies is a player who is difficult, I think, to, to shut down completely because of his ability to pop up on the field and John Herdman's schemes that make it so that Davies can be in different places. And unlike, I think, any other team in CONCACAF, Canada does have forward depth. You know, David is the headline name, but Kyle Lahren actually led them in World Cup qualification in goals. I think they can get goals from Tejan Buchanan or Davies. Lucas Cavallini is still maybe fighting for a spot on this team. 10-year-old legend, right against,
0: Lucas uh, Cavallini. Yes,
1: yes but is a totally different type of forward. Not maybe a totally different, but it is a forward with different qualities who you also feel comfortable putting into the game. So I think when you look at the forward struggles that the U S and Mexico have in Costa Rica, uh, talking in depth, Canada doesn't have those issues. So maybe it's a team that can sort of exceed expectations and overperform. I just am still worried about the defense against European quality play, uh, players, uh, opponents And against a Morocco team that I think has, you know, as much depth, if not more. I almost, John, I almost
0: get a little Peru 2018 vibes from Canada. Back at the World Cup after this long time, had this really good qualification cycle, going to the World Cup, kind of playing with house money, but also with expectations because we know they can be good and I almost get this feeling like they're going to play really well against Belgium and Croatia, and they're just not going to do enough, and then they're going to have a dead rubber against Morocco in that last game, and they're going to be able to do a lot, and it's going to be fun, but they're going to leave not getting out of the group. Is that a completely I mean, off comparison, or is there maybe something no. there?
1: No, I mean, I, I think that's how I see it, right? And I think, like, a fun team for neutrals, a team that is easy to root for, not sure what kind of fan base they'll, they'll take to Qatar. It's not, I don't think we're going to see, you know, the scenes, I, I was lucky enough to report from Russia in 2018 and it was crazy scenes and the Peruvian fans were among the best. I think probably the best uh, when you talk about just like creating atmosphere and having fun. I'm not sure what we'll see from 2022. I don't think it's going to be a quote unquote fun World Cup uh, for a number of factors. Uh, But, you know, hopefully the Canada fans that want to be there will be there and and, and can create kind of a home field or or, or that fun atmosphere for their team coming back for the first time in such a long time. I definitely think it's a good parallel. And again, like I think part of the reason that I'm like, ah, you know, like we could say that Canada, you can make a case for Canada. And part of the reason that you want to make that case is in in a lot of ways for a neutral, it's a great story. You know, it's just fun. It doesn't feel heavy at a World Cup where so many things feel quite heavy. So. I I take no joy in saying, I don't think Canada's getting out of this group. And that's maybe why I say, ah, maybe there is a case. And of course there is. Every team can make it out of their group in the World Cup. That's why we have this tournament. But I, I do struggle to see them getting past kind of those, those last things. That I think they will sand down. I think the edges can be sanded down. I think this can be a team that, again, has staying power. I just don't know that it's going to happen this time around.
0: Quickly, John, on Canada's neighbors to the south, the U.S. men's national team, we obviously had a whole podcast with Henry Bushnell of Yahoo Sports. We don't have to get into any of the nitty gritty, but I do want to get your perspective on the U.S. men's national team. Do you kind of see the bell curve outcome for this U.S. team topic we touched on that last podcast, which is of all the results – the most likely result for this U.S. team is they win a game, they lose a game, they draw a game, they make the round of 16, and they lose that round of 16 game with a couple of moments that could have made it go either way. Or do you see potential for more or maybe potential for less?
1: No, I think that they're right there. I mean, the September games, you need to pray we're an anomaly. You need to pray that they were just sort of something that you can... What, what did I call the Mexico thing? The, the dustbin of history or trash can of garbage of history, whatever. Sure. You need to put them in that that dark space that we don't talk about. Hope that they're forgotten because they, they just – the U.S. looked really bad. I I, I It's easy – so I, I have this like wider perspective where I'm looking at the whole region. And so a lot of times I look at U.S. men's national team Twitter and I'm just like, hey, calm down, everyone. Everyone calm down. I've covered Mexico for a long time where the fans are are, are also – you know, have – strongly held beliefs and feel that this player should make it instead of this player. And there's, there's all these different factors. And so a lot of times I'm like, Hey, chill out, everyone chill out. But after the September games, I was like, nah, I get this. I get this. I understand where this is coming from. And I agree. And so I, I think ultimately the team plays better than it looked in those games can get, a result or two that it needs, and look like hilariously enough, again I'm out on the Netherlands, so maybe there's a Uh-oh. quarterfinal there. Like I, I, I have them going out in the first game. I think they'll get out of the group. Uh, I think, I think Mexico does the same. So uh, I see them kind of paralleling each other, but I think for the U.S., for Canada, and for Costa Rica, maybe not for Mexico. Mexico's going to have to do some some building, some 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 reconstructing. 2026 is so exciting to me because I look and I see like that's the big moment. The U.S. is going to take an extremely young roster to this tournament. Canada's roster is young too. Costa Rica's, as we're going to get into, it, a wild mix. But I think the U.S. fans should be really excited about where soccer is going in terms of the men's national team program. It just might be too soon to have the big success that we want to have.
0: As we said on that show, I mean, one player with World Cup experience going to be in this U.S. squad going to the World Cup, and that's DeAndre Yedlin, who was 20 at that World Cup in 2014. All right, John, it's Costa Rica. They are the other CONCACAF team in this tournament. We talked about the group. It is not easy. Japan, Germany, Spain. But the last time Costa Rica found themselves in a group that looked like this, they went out and they won the group, and they had a tremendous World Cup in 2014. Is there reason to believe that they can do that again?
1: No. Uh, I think you're just looking uh, at history and kind of hoping, right? The the only reason, the case for Costa Rica, is Keylor Navas. He's still a superlative goalkeeper. He's kept Costa Rica in games, World Cup qualifying, and on. And I think, like, you could see a scenario where Keylor has these amazing games. You get a goal or two playing on the counterattack and and something weird happens in other games and Costa Rica advances. I think the difference between, well, there's a lot of differences between the 2014 team and this team. Uh, what I think one of the big differences is that you have Luis Fernando Suarez as the manager kind of making curious roster decisions and I think also lacking a bit of the intuitiveness that, that Pinto had that kind of got the team to where they got to. And plus you just have like key contributors who are, you know, you have this talent donut, right? It's the same problem that the U.S. had when they missed out in 2018, where there's a lot of old players and there's a generation that looks pretty darn good coming up. And who's in their prime right now? Who's the star of this team that's like really, really playing well at a top European club or even an MLS? I mean, Campbell in Liga Mequís, but he's been around too, you know, and, and, and I think he can only do so much as we saw. Uh, during qualification especially at the start before some of those younger players were brought in and helped him and helped some of the other players that, that have the experience but ultimately I think you know Costa Rica has to kind of take pride in the fact they got to this stage it was a really really good close to qualification they beat New Zealand in the playoff to get to this point anything else's bonus sounds like a bit sort of like conciliatory like you're just accepting defeat. But once you got drawn into this group, anything else I think is bonus.
2: <laughs> oh, you're on mute a minute. You're on mute. Thank you. It'd be one thing to get drawn into a group where you could make a case to be the second team. But it's not just they have to get in over Japan. One of Germany or Spain would have to miss it, which happened. Germany, you know, didn't make it uh, at a recent World Cup. but. It's just hard to imagine Costa Rica doing it, right? It involves two results. I totally can see Kaylor Navas stealing a result, you know? He's that good. And like you said, they may be one on the counter. But that's like kind of lightning in a bottle. I'm not sure that they can do that twice. Like I put on here, like, what's a scenario where they get out of their group? And it just requires like two all-time, I think, performances from a squad from Navas and like some really, you know, fortuitous goals. So. It's, it's just a tough – it's a tough road. It's probably five points, right, John? Like if you're
0: drawing the rosiest of rosy scenarios for Costa Rica, it's probably snatch a point against Spain in the opener with a tremendous novice experience. Play enough against Japan that you win that game, you get to four, and then things break the right way. And you get out of the group with a fifth yeah. point against Germany.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think the, the other sort of obviously variable or element is that the other team is Japan. They're good. Who right. is a really good team. Like I, I could see – I I kind of like Japan to get out of this group, which isn't going to happen if Costa Rica gets out, right? So I, I think that the, the roadmap – yes. John Arnold
0: sleeping on the Japan-Costa Rica group getting out of in Group
1: E. Heard it here <laughs> first. I, I – no, I just think like, I think Japan could get out. And that's what I'm saying is that, like Costa Rica, it's just right. really difficult of course. to say they're not at the bottom, It's just really tough. I mean, I think like when you combine all the factors, there's just so much kind of adding up where you're like, well, the veteran players are way too old. <laughs> the new players are way too inexperienced. They don't have the, the, the sort of battle testedness, I guess, that you want to see from young players who are coming through talking about playing not just some of them in the Costa Rican league, but in Costa Rican league teams that are not big, are not good. And then you say, well, Suarez makes some weird decisions. And it's just all sort of factoring into where, again, I think it's an accomplishment for Costa Rica to have made it to this point. They certainly kind of reclaimed, I think, their status as one of the top teams in CONCACAF by making it to this point, by closing out World Cup qualification in the way that they did with results against other big teams. But it's really tough to see them on this stage doing anything. And look like it's easy to blame the group as well. But if you stuck them, if you traded them with Canada, if you traded them with Ecuador, who we talked about in last episode, I don't think they're getting out of those groups either. I just don't think they have the talent yet. Maybe in the future with some of these young players who are on these teams as they go to bigger teams. You know, like they they, they released the roster. And Jewison Bennett's, you know, he's already at Sunderland. He's actually there. But Brandon Aguilera is listed at Nottingham Forest. He hasn't played there yet. Uh, Daniel Chacon, listed as Colorado Rapids. He hasn't played there yet. These are guys who already have their next step decided, but haven't taken that next step yet. They will. We know there's development plans in place for these individuals, but they haven't done it yet. So I think it's really tough to ask them to say, hey, perform at a World Cup level. Go beat Spain when they haven't been able to play FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps yet. It's tough. It's really tough. We've seen teams do it before, kind of, but I I just don't think it's going to happen.
0: I mean, we're back in Costa Rica, right? Like, we would love to see Los Ticos go on another World Cup run.
2: That would be great content. If either Spain or Germany don't make it out, it's just going to be already pretty funny. If it's at the hands of Costa Rica, we will be loving it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I think John makes a really good point in that I think there's some pretty good similarities between this Costa Rica team and Panama that we saw in Russia, at least in the sense of getting to this tournament was the accomplishment and a well-deserved accomplishment. And they're 100% deserving of their spot. Costa Rica goes out and gets blasted twice. I don't want to hear any of this. Oh, they shouldn't have been at the world cup, blah, 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 blah. I don't need to see a 17th European team at the world cup. I just don't.
1: Or one from New Zealand.
0: Right. Right. I don't need to see New Zealand. They had their chance. Win your place. Right. Win your place. 100% deserving of their spot here, but that doesn't change the fact that this is going to be difficult for a variety of factors, but it would be really fun to even just see one more moment from Keeler Navis at this world cup, not even get out of the group, but if Costa Rica can steal a point off of one of the big names in this group with a vintage performance from them, uh, Amit will get to see Brian Ruiz run or something resembling run on a world cup pitch
2: again. Uh, could you beat Brian Ruiz in a foot race? A I minute. Mean? Uh, I don't know about that. He's a professional soccer player, but uh, maybe he's had better days. Maybe, maybe some dudes on the back line. I made a Kendall Wasson joke earlier. Uh, he he yeah. he doesn't move a lot. He doesn't move. A lot. No. Uh,
1: I think uh, Brian Ruiz is only a professional soccer player for another another three weeks. So <laughs> this is it. You know that excuse. Right. That excuse goes out the window. Wow. Uh, no, I mean, I, like, the veterans are too old. I think, like, Boston, I think he still, he still has a couple more years than him. He'll have a decent World Cup. Obviously, Navas. Borges has his moments, but they're moments. And Ruiz is... Campbell's still it, going, like, he's, too. He's
2: he's, he's he's had a long history. Campbell, and he's, and he's yeah, younger. younger. No, he's not past it, but he just he's a player we've seen for a while.
1: No, of course. And that's the thing is that, like, I think for a long time, especially at the start of World Cup qualification, like, the attacking strategy for, for Luis Fernando Suarez was, like, boot it to Campbell and pray. Yes. Because he's fast, because he can create, you know, and, and, and legitimately like Waston ended up up there as an option, as a sort of like hulking centre-back who's really good in the air. And he was often their best attacking threat when he would play, make these like 10-minute cameos at the end of games. And that can't be the case. I think they've mostly resolved that with the younger players that they brought in, putting Contreras next to Campbell in, in, or, or flexing out Campbell to the wing because he's there seeing Bennett. Uh, take the the steps that he has having aguilera as an option as a playmaker you know like this is a better team than it was at the start of world cup qualification because of these young players there's absolutely no doubt about it it's just still not good enough of a team to get out of the group and i think uh, i'm backing you a minute is what i'm saying to beat brian in the foot race let's set it up five dollars to watch and you get a subscription to get a conco
0: how's that for a package i'm in i'm in Um, I think one of the things that's exciting, like you said, though, John, for Costa Rica is you can see the formation of the guys who are coming next, right? And, And we'll kind of close on this here. That's what's exciting for Costa Rica is you can see the guys who are coming next for this team. And that's a positive looking towards a World Cup that will be taking place in their confederation and also one that should be pretty easy for them to qualify for, question mark.
1: Yeah. They should be the, I mean, if if it is like we think it is going to be, they should be the favorites to win the qualification group to qualify relatively easily for 2026 and start to plan for what does it look like without Brian Ruiz, without Cecil Borges, without these guys, because they do have these players who are going to have World Cup experience. You know, we're talking about DeAndre Yedlin is the only U.S. player. He was 20 years old. Like you're going to have seven to ten right. guys who you can point to and say this guy was on the team in qatar this guy understands what it takes he had the opportunity to go to these bigger clubs uh, but they're just not there yet so i think there is a bright future and, and i think like for costa rica that is important like the generational change is happening it's too slow it took too long but the fact that there is that next generation of players for Costa Rica, for them to continue what actually has been a remarkable run. Like they've consistently been at the World Mm -hmm. Cup. They've consistently been among CONCACAF's best team. You can't say that about the United States. You can't say that about some of the other teams that want to put themselves on Costa Rica's level. So credit to them. They've been a very good program from a federation level. And I think they will continue to be. They weren't showing signs of that at the start of qualification. And now we say, yes, they absolutely should be the favorites to qualify top in 2026 without the North American teams involved. And it should be a team that we're talking about for years and years to come.
0: John, a massive, massive, thank you for joining the show. You've you've elevated our, uh, our relevancy by tenfold just for being here. The people should subscribe to getting CONCACAF, correct?
1: That's true. If the race between Amit and Brian Ruiz doesn't come off, you can simply type get into your web browser Click the subscribe button, and for $5 a month or $50 for the year, every week I will deliver at least one premium newsletter into your inbox, sometimes more, plus news and features from around the region. It is my passion project. It's something I hope to do more of in 2023, so please check it out. Obviously, like it's sort of a circle. If you support, I can do more of it, so like, please tell your friends, please get involved, uh, and we'll try and have a fun space to talk about regional soccer on the internet together.
0: And I'm sure there'll be tons of great World Cup content from John on that newsletter throughout the World Cup, or at least for as long as the CONCACAF teams are hanging around in Qatar. I
1: I know. Someone uh, in the comments of the Monday newsletter about who's going to go farther, someone said, I think all the teams are going to get eliminated at the group stage. And I was like, that's my nightmare. I was (laughs) like, wait a second. Not really. Because then I can just have like a very relaxed Christmas season. But uh, hopefully not. Hopefully everyone's enjoying. Hopefully everyone's listening to this. Favorite team wins. All All the things.
0: Amit and I will be back before you know it. We're going to preview all the rest of the teams as only we can. It's going to be one question for every team that we haven't covered so far in the World Cup. We're going to knock them out just like that, Amit. That's coming next week. And then the World Cup is right around the corner about a week and a half away. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you for making us your podcast of choice for the World Cup or one of your podcasts of choice. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.